Welcome back to RUF. It is, uh, it's good to get another year rolling. Um, if you've never been to RUF or maybe you've been here and there, our practice on Thursday nights uh, is to study God's Word together. And this semester, uh, we're going to be in Genesis, obviously uh, a big book. We're going to start at the very beginning tonight out of the gate at Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I wanted to read the whole first chapter for effect, but I want you to come back next week. So I'm going to spare you that. Um, What is the question that every parent dreads, right? Where, see if you can fill it out for me, do babies come from, right? It's the the question every, every parent dreads. That question of origin, right? It's a question that is ingrained in us. It's a question that we can't help but ponder. We can't help but try to find some kind of answer to come to some kind of peace about our, uh, where we come from. Uh, because even as a child is becoming more self-aware in life, we know that the answer to that question has got to be something more than a, just a bare fact of trivia or biology. Um, Because that answer, it gives our lives and it gives our understanding of the world, even. It's proper orientation to know and understand uh, the answer to the question of origin. Genesis, the book of Genesis, is the first book of the Bible for this very reason. It is a book of beginnings. And it's a book, it it not only tells us a story of how things are and how things came to be, but much more, I think, what lies behind it is it tells us why. That's what it sets out to do for us, and it's in the whole book. And tonight, we start in Genesis chapter 1, and if you know anything about the Bible, and you know anything about just taking into consideration creation itself, right, this is a topic that could take up weeks, and we're going to give it one go tonight for our intro. Uh, so bear with me as we just try to glean some things from this, but read with me here in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Skipping ahead to the last verse, verse 31. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray before we look into this night. Father, this is Your Word and it is Your Word for us. We pray that You would speak that you would speak into our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe the grace and truth which you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The creation, the beginning, the beginning of it all. I just want to look at three things simply with you tonight. The majesty of it, the mystery of it, and the matter. Uh, what is the matter? Um, the first thing is majesty. And you start there in verse 1. Books have been written, pages and pages have been written, sermons and sermons have been preached. Just on that simple phrase, out of the gate, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God. 
We could stop right there and we could spend the rest of our night just pondering the immensity of that statement and the immensity of that truth. That in the beginning, God. And it's no mistake, and if you read through the rest of the creation account as it comes to us in Genesis chapter 1, it's no mistake that God is the subject of this entire chapter. Because I would suggest to you that the point of the whole creation account is God. God is the point. Yes, it tells us about creation and the world as it came to be. But the subject and everything that we're being pointed to is the creator behind it all. Creation is the initial, the foundational divine self-revelation. It is God's revealing Himself in the world in time for the first time. He creates, and as He creates, He makes Himself known. In fact, when you look through the rest of Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, whether it's poetry, whether it's historical narrative, whenever the topic of God as Creator or the creation of the world comes up, it is always taken up in praise and worship. When the writers of Scripture take up creation, it always leads and, and, and gets them to talk about the worship and praise of this God, this Creator God. A few examples, Psalm 19, the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. We can know this God because He's a Creator, and we can know this God. We can be pointed to Him through the things and by the things He has created. The psalmist in Psalm 33, he says, the, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And then you go all the way to the end of the Bible. One of my favorite chapters I'm actually preaching on it this Sunday at Grace Prez, if you want to come. Uh, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, the Apostle John has his first vision as he is ushered into the throne room of God in heaven itself. And what John sees there surrounding the throne is all the hosts of heaven and creation singing this song. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. What is the point of creation? It is all of it pointing us to the Creator God. The Creator that stands behind it. That spoke and things came to be. The One who sustains it by His own will and His own power. It's no wonder, um, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but the chapter 1 of, of Genesis in, in the Hebrew is is structured as a Hebrew poem, a poetry. It's not to say anything uh, about its historicity. But because God's purpose in creation was making Himself known, and you can't read it without pondering um, and being moved to worship and praise. That's how the Bible goes on to show us how this religion actually separates itself from all other, world, all other religions because it shows us the relationship between God and His world. It's a relationship, it's distinct because it's between a creator and everything else being created. God is the sole, unique, absolute cause of all that exists. And it leads to awe and wonder and worship and praise when we really take it in for what it is and what it means. 
And you actually begin to see how this uh, sets the stage for the rest of the story of Genesis and, and the rest of the story of Scripture for that matter. Because if God, if you think about it, if God is the sole, unique, absolute cause of all things that exist, that means that He is the Lord of all things that exist. And He always has been and He always will be. That's what it tells us. That's what it, comes. it means he's king. It means he's owner. It means he's ruler of everything. Paul in Romans 11 says, For from him, through him, and to him are all things. That's what this creation account is pointing us to. John Calvin uh, in his Institutes of Christian Religion. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I haven't read all of that. It's, it's tedious. But I have read this part because it's at the beginning. Uh, John Calvin says this. He says, man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. Man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. The creation, I think the creation, of the, account, the creation account of the Bible is showing us this and it's telling us this. And one of the main ways that it does this by pointing to God, one of the main things it's trying to tell us is this, is that we are not at the center of the universe. God is. Because all things are from Him, all things are for Him, and all things are to Him. We cannot be at the center of the universe or of life or of the world, right? You think about this. If the, the fact of the matter is that most of us live like we are at the center of the world. And we can do it in, in so many different ways, whether consciously or subconsciously. But think about it. If the world depends on you, then that means everything in your life depends on you at every moment. And if you're honest with yourself, you are going through college in some way thinking that that's true. And it's crushing you. Some of you have been back in class for four days and you're already saying to yourself or your roommates or whoever, how am I going to make it to May? Because when we live with thinking or believing that we're at the center of the world, it means that everything depends on us. And that is soul crushing because we're not, we're not, we weren't made to handle the weight of that. Or think of it another way. I think all of us agree, would agree that one of the keys to healthy relationships would be selflessness, right? And that one of, the, one of the things that probably poisons relationships the easiest is self-centeredness. Well, how do you get true selflessness? To truly understand that you are not and cannot be at the center. To truly understand and believe that you are not your own. And that cannot be the case. The flip side of this, though, what it also tells us, what it would have told um, the Israelites the first time they heard this, is that the things that you fear are also not at the center of the world. They can't be. Because God is. There's uh, tons, if you look back in the history, there's tons of parallel ancient Near Eastern creation stories. Uh, but this one stands in stark distinction because all those other stories, they tell of a God or gods kind of struggling with or over or against some primordial chaos or even sea monsters in the myths the way that they go. Um, but look at verse 2. Verse 2, we read that 
The earth was without form of void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. As one commentator put it, he said, Even the dark deep is but a stage on the way to a completed world. This wasn't something that God had to struggle against or over. He spoke and it came to be. Uh, My wife has sung a, a song to our children as they go to bed for years. And it goes like this. Even the darkness is light to him. Night is as bright as the day. Know you are safe though the light grows dim. Even the darkness is light to him. You cannot be at the center of the world. You were not made to bear the weight of that. Nor are the things that you fear and struggle with at the center of this world. God is. He's the king, the ruler, the owner, and the maker of all of it. And the whole creation account stands to point us to this creator God. And the glory and majesty that he's endowed in, in creation that points to himself. Moving on to the second thing is mystery. It's the easiest way to put it. And it's an M. And it fits my points. But... Mystery. There's no denying when you read through Genesis chapter 1 that there's mystery that stands out. And I think the author is very uh, intentional with it. There's no attempt or intention to explain away creation. There's no attempt to kind of reconcile, if you read further, what appears to be a contradiction that there's light before there was a sun and moon and stars. There's no attempt to explain why or how we're expected to believe that this all happened in the space of six days. Was it literal days? Was it figurative days? Not going to make an argument about that tonight. There's no attempt um, to explain it away to us, to make it fit in nicely in a box for us. But there's an obvious and intentional upholding, I would, I would suggest... Of the wonderful mystery of it all. I think that's what we're supposed to walk away with. And it's something that the rest of the Bible upholds. The unsearchable wisdom and mystery of God. Again in Romans 11 Paul puts it like this. Oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord. Or who has been his counselor. There's a mystery here. You know, and some might say, and I don't think wrongfully, I get it. Some might say, you know, that's kind of a convenient way to avoid, you know, that whole science thing, right? And I get that. And and I wish we had the time to really go into this, but let let me suggest a few things. I would say, one, that's to misunderstand the beauty of mystery and how the Bible uses that word and that concept. The concept of mystery, I would suggest to you, is simply the logical conclusion of considering your creatureliness, your finiteness, your finity. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, I just made it up. Anyway. As created beings, it follows that we are limited in various capacities, the least of which, right? Not the least of which would, would be our knowledge. The modern myth, whether explicitly stated or subconsciously assumed, the modern myth is that science will explain everything. At some point, eventually, science will lead to the knowledge of everything. But the problem with that statement in and of itself is that it's not a scientific statement. It's a philosophical one. Science is the study of observable phenomena, right? And as many, many scholars and theologians, whoever, have noted, the origin of man and life is not an observable thing. Did y'all know the Big Bang Theory? That's like some maybe 60. It's like the consensus these days. It's only 60 years old, the Big Bang Theory, as far as um, um, people buying into it. I don't think the biblical account of creation 
stands in opposition to science. And I also don't think science stands in in, uh, contradiction to the biblical account of creation. One theologian, Herman Bavink, he put it like this, the origin and end of things lie outside the boundaries of human observation and research. Science presupposes existence, and it rests on the foundation of what has been created. And so the question is this, if the world did not originate by an act of creation, as we read here in Genesis chapter 1, then there has to be some other explanation. That's the problem. Right? If it did not originate by an act of creation, then there certainly must be some other explanation. Um, today, most people want to argue for or assume that nature is all that there is. Uh, you call it, philosophically, you call it materialism. But the problem with materialism, believing that this is all there is, that the, that, that the physical world, nature, is the only real things, no one wants to follow the logical ethics of that worldview. No one wants uh, to live that out. If nature is all that there is, then you cannot make any other argument other than we are here by accident. We're here by blind probability or chance. Our desires are accidents. Whatever we end up doing in this life, achieving in this life, is blind probability and chance. No one wants to believe that. Not willingly. Because no one wants life to be meaningless. We know that there's meaning and we're constantly searching for it. That's why some of you pour yourselves out in the classroom. Because you think at the end of four years or five or six, whatever, you got to have something that's going to take your life somewhere. You do not want to live a life that is blind probability and chance. It's depressing, right? On the flip side of materialism is pantheism. That whatever we are, whatever this is, what all we all kind of perceive from some life force, whatever he, she, it, or they are. Hello, Star Wars. Um, Not to start an argument yet. Um, That all things came from the same something. But again, that's a worldview that no one wants to follow to its logical conclusion. Here's what Genesis 1 does. It's over and against those worldviews, very simplistically stated, I admit. It's over and against those worldviews, not science. That verse 1 comes in and tells us, In the beginning, God created In the beginning. Where does it all come from? In the beginning, God created. It's the Hebrew word uh, bara. If you read through the rest of of chapter 1, there's actually another word used when it says, and he made, and this was made, and this was made. But when it uses the word created there in verse 1, it's the Hebrew word bara. And that word, when used in the Bible, every time it's used in the Bible, God, it is God only who is the subject. It's only God that does creating in this sense of the Hebrew word, right? It's a divine activity. And so what biblical Christianity does is it claims something that actually no other origin story does. It claims that God created ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing, and then there was something because God willed it. God spoke it into being. Uh, Paul talks about Abraham's faith in Romans 4. He says, The God in whom Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that are not. This is how God created. And it's significant because by creating ex nihilo, God answers the myths of origin. He answers the ancient myths that the worlds were created out of some uh, struggle. Um, 
created out of maybe, you know, some myths say that people were created out of the blood of slain gods or the slaughter of some great chaos monster or the victors of some cosmic war like Greek mythology, right? But what the Bible comes in and says, this God made all things out of nothing. Meaning you're not some byproduct of something. No, God intentionally willed into things into existence with intentionality, with design. And then we see that man is made not to feed any need of God because God doesn't have any needs. Rather, we'll see next week in Genesis 2, it's actually God who's providing food for the man. By creating out of nothing, God also answers the modern myths of origin that say that nature is the only reality, that the material world is the only thing that's real. Because by creating out of nothing, He gives creation its own being. It's distinct from Him. It's the creation. But it's not ultimate. It's not all there is. He gives it what He affirms at the end of each day. It was good. It was good. It was good. And so what is the answer? What is the answer to the mystery of it all? What is the answer to the mystery of origins? And again, I wish we had enough time, but I would just simply suggest that Genesis 1 is trying to get one point across, and it's this. What is the answer to the mystery of origins? The Bible's simple answer is, God willed it. God willed it. He willed that it existed, and it came into existence. And at the same time, this is also The grand mystery. And far from a cop-out or far from withholding meaning, I would suggest to you it's actually meanings, it's it's its only foundation. There's no deeper answer to the question of why and how things exist than the answer God willed. We'll end with this one. Matter. Not as in physical matter, but why does it matter? What matters? What is the point of all this? Two things. First one is this. The world matters. This world matters. It does. It's not something that we're longing to escape. It's not, longing, it's not something that we're just kind of grin, gritting our teeth and trying to bear, make our way through it until we can make it to some place called heaven. No, this world matters and it matters because God made it and God declared it good. You go to the end of the Bible, you see this new heavens coming down and we're told that it's not that He just wipes everything away and we're going to have some new spiritual thing that exists some far off place. No, we actually see a new heavens coming down to this earth and making it a new earth this world matters and the converse is of that is if this world is all that there is then it doesn't matter if this world is all that it, there is it doesn't matter it's I, i'm no scientist i failed all not didn't fail them but i ran away from all my science classes uh when i got to college but it's simply called the the, law, the second law of thermodynamics that everything is deteriorating If this world is all that there is, it doesn't matter. But God has endowed this world with dignity, with an inherent dignity. And so this world matters. There's so much more we could say in application, but I want to move on to this, the final one. What matters, what this chapter 1 is really screaming at us, is that you matter. That we matter. Now, is that not a contradiction to the fact that we said this was all about God? No. You matter. You matter because not only did God create this good world, but He created you. He created man, male and female. He created them as the pinnacle of it. 
And he endowed them with his image to bear his image in the world. And so what that tells us is you are not the product of some blind chance. Nor are you the product of meeting the needs of some detached God. Because this God doesn't have needs. You matter because God had you in mind when he called the world into being. When he spoke and it came to be. You matter Because God created you for His own glory. That's what this account tells us. And both of these conclusions can be found again in this word, this Hebrew word, bara, as it's used here uh, to mean created. And as, as I said, it always has God as its subject. Elsewhere in the Old Testament when it's used, it's used to speak of God's liberating and saving acts in the history of His people. This word here, translated for us, created, is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to speak of God's liberating and saving acts in the history of His people. And what you can actually begin to see, a book that we suppose was written to the Israelites in the wilderness, not not a generation removed from the Exodus, is that the creation account actually anticipates the Exodus. That in creation, God commands the forces of nature just like He did in the plagues against the Egyptians. That in creation, God separates light from darkness just like He did in the plagues against the Egyptians. That God in creation makes the earth teem with creatures just like He did in the plagues against the Egyptians. That God divides the waters like He would for the Israelites as they passed on dry ground through the sea to salvation. And so what we get there immediately connected is that God does the same things in Exodus for His people that He did at creation. Because in both creation and redemption, God shows Himself as Lord of all the earth and the Lord of salvation. So in other words, what we see right out of the gate is that salvation is already in view. That God would ultimately make Himself known as the Savior of all the earth. Is it any uh, wonder that throughout Scripture, salvation would be described itself as what? A new creation. What matters? Why does creation matter? Simply, it's about finding our story. It is about finding our purpose, finding meaning, finding beauty, and finding destiny. And like, here's, here's the thing. And again, I feel like some of you are going to walk away thinking, that's all we get on the creation. But think about this. Think about the immensity of creation. Think about, it's kind of unfathomable, right? The immensity of creation. The Bible gives us one page. The Bible gives us one page. And then it will move on. As one commentator put it, the tremendous acts of creation are presented to us as a mere curtain raising to the drama that would slowly unfold through the rest of the Scriptures. The tremendous acts of creation are presented to us as a mere curtain raising. It's mind-blowing to me. A world without form and void. But the point being that it's on its way to completion, to truly being a new creation. How would that that story find completion? Well, I would suggest to you, I don't think it's any coincidence that John, the Apostle John, begins his gospel in this way. 
In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it. The tremendous acts of creation presented to us as a mere curtain raising to the drama that would unfold in the rest of the pages of Scripture. Ultimately to be fulfilled by the Creator God Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That this God who made all things, who makes all things new, who brings into being things that are not, who brings fullness where there is emptiness, who brings light where there is darkness, who brings life where there is death. That is what He is in the business of doing. How would He ultimately do it? He would ultimately do it on the cross. How? As the Maker of the universe Himself would be unmade. So that we could be remade. That's it. That's it. That's what this account is introducing us to. What would it take? Again, so much here. So much we don't have time to to consider. But what would it take to even begin to believe something like that? Glad you asked. Paul takes it up in 2 Corinthians 4. One of my favorite verses, if not my favorite. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, Paul says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What would it take to begin believing something like this? It would take nothing short of a miracle. It would take nothing short of a divine creation, a divine recreation, a new heart. I just ask you, have you ever considered the immensity? And have you ever considered the fact that God had you in mind when he created the world? Why? So that you could know him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is almost too much to ponder in one night. And so we pray that it would not leave us at this moment, but that you would begin and continue to etch these truths on our heart. That, Father, by beholding your creation, by beholding you as our creator, that we would know you better and that you would remake our hearts, that they would cling to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.